Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh-out-loud humor and hitting-you-between-the-eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants, because here we go. Okay, so what I'm going to do, since it's been a week, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of start in... Verse 26, and we're just going to read through some verses before we get to the points, okay, to where we actually are. I just want to remind you of some things. And so, actually, I'll start at 25. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So he's telling them, listen, there are two hungers. There's a physical hunger and there's a spiritual hunger. And yes, physical food can satisfy your physical hunger. But there's a hunger in you that the physical, the physical food cannot satisfy. And actually, the fact is, we know that whether we think we do or not. That is why every people group in the world that has ever been discovered worships something. It's because God has put eternity in the hearts of men. We long for more. Somewhere inside of us, we know this isn't it. This can't be it. There has to be more. And it's a longing, a hunger. Um, I thought Study Light had a pretty good commentary on this. They, uh, there was a story explaining this fact that the physical is not enough. It said, in the years just after AD 60, the luxury of the Roman society was unparalleled. It was at this time that they served feasts of peacock brains and nightingale tongues, that they cultivated odd habits of taking emetics, which is basically a medicine that makes you throw up, which that sounds, that sounds like an ancient eating disorder to me, but okay. <laughs> Um, because be, between courses, so they would take that between courses so that the nets might taste better. That meals costing thousands of pounds were commonplace. It was at this time that Pliny tells of a Roman lady who was married in a robe so richly jeweled and gilded that it cost the equivalent of 432,000 British pounds. There was a reason for all this, and the reason was a deep dissatisfaction with life a hunger that nothing could satisfy. They would try anything for a new thrill because they were both appallingly rich and appallingly hungry. As Matthew Arnold wrote, in his cool, in his cool hall with haggard eyes, the Roman noble lay. He drove abroad in furious guise along the Appian Way. He made a feast, drank fierce and fast. He crowned his hair with flowers, no easier nor no quicker past the impractical hours. Jesus's point was that all these Jews were interested in was the physical satisfaction. They had received an unexpectedly free and lavish meal, and they wanted more. But there are other hungers which can be satisfied only by him. The hunger for truth, he is the absolute truth. Right? The hunger for love, he is love. The hunger for life, abundant life, eternal life is in him. Why? Because he is the seal. It says that God's seal was on him. Um, today we authenticate by signature. They did it by seal. If you were at church on Sunday at CCB, we talked about the, the face icon, the prodigal father. Okay, uh, the prodigal God, because he lavishly gave love. Uh, to his son, but one of the things he did when the prodigal returned, right, he ran back, put his robe on him, and put his signet ring on his finger. In an honor-shame culture, this son was in danger. The father got to him first and told the world, he is accepted, my seal is on him. And so we have that, and Jesus did that at the baptismal, remember? It says, and the Holy Spirit came down as a dove, and we know that the Holy Spirit acts for us as a seal, guaranteeing a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. What did he say? This is my son. In him, I'm satisfied. He is it. And so he gives this seal. And that's what Jesus has been trying to say all along. The Father and I are what? One. We are equal. 
I thought this was interesting. I had never heard this before. It said the rabbis had a saying, the seal of God is truth. One day, says the Talmud, the great synagogue, the assembly of the Jewish experts in the law, were weeping, praying, and fasting together when a little scroll fell from the firmament among them. They opened it, and on it was the only word, emeth, which in Hebrew means truth. That, said the rabbi, is the seal of God, emeth. It's spelled with three Hebrew letters, the first letter in the alphabet, the middle letter in the alphabet, and the last letter in the alphabet. The truth of God is the beginning, the middle, and the end of life. And that is why Jesus can satisfy the eternal hunger. He is sealed by God. He is God's truth incarnate. I thought that is really good right there. He is saying, listen, quit working. This is driving me crazy right here. Is it driving y'all crazy? It's echoing a little bit. Okay, thank you. Um, he is saying, don't strive for that which will never satisfy. Right? And so he says, work for that which lasts forever. But when they heard the word work, what did they say? They said to him, what must we do to be doing the work of God? And he answered them. And it says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. We talked about that last time. They were reared to believe that you work for God's favor. We looked at the old covenant and he's trying to get them out of the old covenant and say, no, it's not about what you're doing. It's about who you believe in. And so he is trying to change their thinking. And so in verse 30, he says, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our forefathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. We laughed about this before, like, what sign? My word, you just saw him feed almost 20,000 people, right? But that was one lunch. They're saying, listen, our, our forefather Moses, he provided food for 40 years. And not only that, he didn't start with something. God actually sent Moses gave us bread from heaven. So what are you going to do? It's so interesting because we just had the storm, if you remember, and Jesus walks on the water. And last time I talked about how it's, it's synonymous with the parting of the Red Sea. We have all of these beautiful imageries from the Exodus. And so after the Red Sea, remember they got out there and they started to grumble. And so God uh, sent a supernatural food. So they're like, okay, they've already equated him with Moses. They've already equated him with me. Where is, you, what's the sign? Moses gave us food from heaven. What sign will you give us? And he answers, he says, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, or what? Pay attention to me. This is serious stuff. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you, do you see the tense of that? But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. It wasn't Moses, right? It was God the father that sent down the supernatural thing. He gave you bread from heaven. But he gives you, and he says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What did you notice right there? For the bread of God is... He, the bread of God, the true bread of God, he's telling him, is a person. So what does that mean? That means the manna was only symbolic of the true bread that was coming, who is a person. You can understand that. It was sent by God. It was supernatural provision. But in order for it to do any good, what did you have to do? You had to go out. You had to believe. You had to go out and you had to gather. And you had to eat right what good is the manna if it sits in a jar and you never eat it you never apply it you never metabolize it that's not going to bring life and we're going to see the similarity there we're also going to see a difference in a minute because the manna right was manna for the day manna for the day we talked about that when we talked about the leftovers from the miraculous uh, feeding of the five thousand. the manna for the day because if you tried to keep it too long or overnight, it would rot. It would get worms in it. Man of the day, learning to trust God. But when we, we're going to get to a section when he talks about eating him, 
right? It's not manna for the day, it's manna for eternity. It is a one-time feast, a one-time event. And so he is saying, listen, the true bread from heaven is a person who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, a good exercise in this whole thing is to go back maybe with a little colored pencil or if you're worried about writing in your Bible, whatever. But you need to see how many times it says, come down. I have come down. Come down. The bread come down from heaven. <clears throat> Remember, they are not reading this. They are listening to this. So if you really want your audience to get something, you teachers or you moms, how many times do you say it? Yes. You repeat it. Mom, why are you telling me that again? You just told me, uh, maybe because you have a history of never doing anything I tell you, so I figure if I tell you 10 times, you might remember to do it, you know, that kind of thing. But the more you repeat something, the more they remember, and you're going to watch in his sermon. This is a big deal. He wants them to get it, and it's hard for them to get it, and so he's saying it over and over and over again that he has come down from heaven. And so it would be interesting for you to, to go back and count how many times that is said. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Do they get it? No, not really. He's talking in the spiritual, they're hearing in the practical. Who does that remind you of? Samaritan woman. Oh, sir, give me that living water, right? He, he is wetting the whistle of her desire, but she doesn't really truly understand what she's asking for. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am Yahweh. I am that I am. I am the self-existent one. I am the source of everything. And so let me put that into some metaphors for you, my audience, so that you can understand what that actually means. I am the bread of life. You cannot exist physically without bread, without sustenance. I am your provision. I am. Not only am I your provision in our physical life, the fact that God will provide for our needs, and he showed that with the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, that I have given you provision, me, for eternal life, for true life, right? And he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We talked about this. You will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger, for you will be satisfied. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Okay, in case you're wondering, that verse is a doozy. And I am not going to really get into the sovereign will of God versus the free will of man. Although my friend Kathy the other day was having a debate with her sister on the East Coast. I'm out living life, I think. I don't know what I was doing, and I get the phone call. Can you please solve the debate that we're having right now? I'm like, no, I cannot. I said, I will. I mean, I can tell you everything I know and kind of get you, but no, people have been debating, well, who do you think I am? <laughs> Absolutely not, right? And so how do you, um, how do you put together, how do you reconcile God's free will, the fact that he draws man or he gives them to the Son, yet whoever comes to the Son. I mean, honestly, I heard someone say, there's no need to reconcile them because you don't need to reconcile friends. And I love that because they're both true. They're both parallel highways that I believe do not intersect into until eternity. They are both true. It all starts with God, no matter what. Because if man is dead in their trespasses and sins, if you are dead, you can't see anything. You can't choose anything. God must quicken. And so he draws. Uh, we're going to see in a minute what that actually means. But yet, there is a moment where man's free will must choose. Okay? They're synonymous. I mean, they're not synonymous, but I believe they happen at the same time. And some things we lead to mystery. Right? And I don't believe it is something we sit and debate and we get divisive about. Um, I do believe and know 
that anyone who wants Jesus, he wants them. Period. At the end of the day, and all that have been given to him, he will lose how many? Zero. Um, so there you go. There's your Calvinism, Armenian. I don't know if you call me Calmenian. That's probably theologians are like, oh, she's terrible. But that's out. <laughs> 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the sun, what does that remind you of when you see that phrase? The bronze serpent. Look and live. He who became, he who had no sin became sin. It was lifted up, just like the bronze serpent. What was killing them? The serpent. What must they look upon? Exactly what is killing them. Look and live. We look on Jesus. He became sin for us on the cross. He paid our penalty. And by faith, we are saved. Looks on the Son and believe in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. All right, verse 41. Here we go. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourself. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets that they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard, ears may say listen, and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Are we surprised they grumbled? No. It's still the picture, first picture of us, but it's a picture, right, that still fits with the Exodus. What did we hear over and over with the people in the wilderness? And they grumbled. And so they're grumbling because they're like, how in the world can he claim to have come down from heaven when we know his parents? Remember, this is the Galilee area. This is where uh, he grew up. And so they're stuck on the fact that he is human. They know the parents. But what is he claiming? I mean, what does it mean when he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven? It, it means he already existed in heaven. He is pre-existent. And that he has now come down from heaven. In other words, he is man, but he is God. He is deity. Has this not been what he has been claiming the entire time? With all that he has been doing, all of the, the different miracles and signs are pointing to this. But he is saying this. But they're like, but wait a minute. He's human. And you know, and it, it talks about... That. Would they not have had an idea that the Messiah was both human and deity? You wonder? Is it, is it in there any, anywhere? How about Isaiah? Look at Isaiah 9-6. You're familiar with, with this. For to us, a child is born. That's human. To us, a son is given. But whose son? Because he wasn't Joseph's son. He was God's son. Deity. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Really? So they know from Isaiah that the Christ, right, will be a child, humanity, but he will be a son, a son who will be everlasting and called mighty God. They also have in Isaiah 7, 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Was it there? Humanity and deity rolled up into one. Fully flesh, because he, a child would be born of mankind, but he would be the son of God. Why is it so important that we believe in the virgin birth? 
Because the seed of man is corrupt with sin. And if the seed of man had produced a child, that child would have been sinful and would not be able to be your perfect sacrifice on the cross. Only man could take your place, but only God could be your savior. He was both. This is what he's trying to explain to them. That you think you know me because of my parents, but I'm telling you who I am. And I'm telling it over and over and over. I am the bread that has come down from heaven. I have come down from heaven. And he says it over and over and over. And he says, but no one can come to me unless the father who sends me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Um, that Greek word, many theologians believe that that word draw brings with it a context of resistance. That in the drawing, there is a resistance, almost like bringing in a net that's filled with fish. But that God draws. Um, how? It goes on to say, and it was written in the prophets, that they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Let's look at that, because that is a quote from Isaiah, Isaiah 54, 13, where he's talking about a restored people. And it says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. So it's talking about in a restored society, God will be teaching himself. And you're like, okay, look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. It's talking about the new covenant. So they're looking forward to a new covenant that they're being told about. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. And then look down in verse 33. It says, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. So there's coming a day, right? Anyone who comes to me, God will teach himself. I want you to hear another one. 1 Corinthians 2.13. So 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You see, in the past, God had spoken to them through prophets. He had spoken to them through scripture. And now... <clears throat> he is literally speaking to them what? <clears throat> face to face through Jesus, right? But the fact is, these things are spiritually discerned. It is the Father who will teach each individual himself. <clears throat> they must be spiritually discerned. But now they are hearing directly from the mouth of God. Once again, Jesus is trying to get them to recognize what they are just unwilling to see. He is from the Father. He literally says, not in verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, for he has seen the Father. He is trying again to get them to understand that he was pre-existent, that he was with the Father, he is equal with the Father, he has been sent down, and what he is telling them is true but it has to be he knows that it has to be spiritually discerned the father will speak to them but he's saying listen i have seen him face to face what do they know they're thinking nobody i mean from exodus 33 if you look at that nobody could see god face to face and live remember moses this whole that fits in the whole picture what did moses ask god i want to see you I want to see you. And he's like, no man can see me and live. But Moses, you know what I'll do for you? I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. Turn around. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to cover you with my hand. And I will pass by you. You will not be able to see my face where I'm going. 
but you will see my back. I will allow all of my goodness to pass in front of you. I will let you see all the evidence of my goodness, but no man can see me and live. And what is Jesus saying? You're, you don't understand. Okay. Yes, I am the one, uh, the prophet like Moses from the brethren. Yes, I am the Christ. Um, I'm actually the manna, the bread from heaven. You need to understand I have been sent down by God. I have seen him face to face. Why? Because I am like him. You are seeing the face of God. Do you remember where we started? Right? In all, in, uh, the first chapter of John. I want to see if I wrote down all the ones I wanted to say. I think we'll get to it in a minute. But first John three, where it says that one day we will see him. Do you know that verse? Go to first John chapter three. Not John, but first John. Which one of those small ones in the back would you skip? Hundred times trying to find it, right? First John three. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Isn't that the truth? Beloved, we are God's children. Now and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Do you see that? He's like, I was sent from God. I saw him face to face because I am like him. But one day when he returns, we will be transformed. We will be glorified. We will be able to see him because we will be like him. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. He's trying to get this across to them over and over who he is. 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. How many times has he said this already in the book of John? Over and over and over. You want life? Believe. How do you get life? Believe. Believe what? Believe that I am who I said I am. And I'm trying to help you understand who I am. And today I'm going to help you by telling you I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's like, listen and listen carefully. If you believe this, you will have eternal life. This is bigger than Moses, bigger than just another leader, bigger than the Romans, bigger than an earthly kingdom. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the wilderness. What you're asking me for? If I gave it to you, if I really gave you what you wanted, Every day, just a free meal. Do you realize they had that? And what happened? They still died. You're missing the point. I could feed you and feed you and feed you, and it would not solve the problem. You will die because this is not it. What I've come to do is to give you life. There is eternal life that you were actually created for. I came to solve that problem so that you can have eternal life. You can have abundant life. And in this verse, you see, by the way, where it says, um, so that one may eat of it and not die. In verse 51, it says, if anyone eats of the bread, that's the aorist tense, which means once and for all action. The manna, manna for the day, manna for the day. You have to continue to eat right in order to be sustained he is saying this belief this bread has been given to you it is a once and for all action if you believe in me you will have life and when that happens i have received you i you have been given to me by the father and i will lose no one 
I am the bread of spiritual life, a one-time meal, and it will be given through what? Look at that last verse. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, verse 51. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my what? My flesh. Okay, here's where it gets a little crazy for them. He is saying, listen, I have come down to show you a life, to show you who I am, so that you may believe in me. I have drawn you by my life, but I make a way by my death. So all of a sudden, he is now talking about the sacrifice that is going to be made, his sacrificial death. Although the manna was miraculously sent by God, it was only used to sustain the Israelites' physical life. The manna could not impart eternal life. It was only symbolic of him. If anyone eats of the bread, he will live forever, Jesus says. He continues to work the analogy. I am the bread from heaven. But just like earthly bread, if you don't eat it, it does no good. You must internalize it. Trust it. Let it in. Accept it. Chew it. Digest it. Make it useful. To do that, you must be hungry. Hard to be hungry when we're so focused and filled up on earthly things. I think you should let that sink in for a minute. Because I did. Are you really hungry? Or do we just fill up all of our hunger by what they're doing? Just filling up all of the desires for this body that we can see the here and the now. Um, I was in uh, grief group last night. One of the things I said is, I'll never be the same because I really feel like in many ways, it's hard to explain unless you, I guess you've been through loss. I feel like this world's not real. I don't know how else to put it. It's almost like I'm living in the matrix. And I look around and I look at all that's happening. I watch people and I think of houses and I think of like this crazy trailer I'm buying or whatever. And I look at all this and it just, it's just not, it doesn't seem real. And the reason is, I think, is because I have one foot here and one foot in eternity. Because that's there. And I want to be there. I think so much more of there. And, and you're stuck in the middle. But I, I just wonder, though, how much of our hunger, our deep hunger, satisfaction, we're trying to fill up by all the earthly things. And I understand it. Uh, because I try to fill up grief that way. I stay busy. I run ahead of it. I, I do anything not to sit in it, not to feel it. But then it catches you, and then you have to sit in it. And so I get it. But there is a deep longing inside of us. Do you have a longing to be satisfied in that way? He is the only thing that can satisfy that. He says, the Jews then disputed amongst themselves. So he has moved to the sacrifice, by the way. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little more. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him in the last days. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Here it is again. Not like the forefathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. I wrote, the Jews freak out. <laughs> I mean, he's already said that he has come down from heaven. He has, how many times? Many, okay? He has already said that he has seen God face to face. And now he is saying that we must eat his body and drink his blood. If they weren't over the edge already, this would have completely done it. All right? 
But before I talk about, I, I want to talk about one thing in verse 53. Look at verse 53. Do you see the phrase that said, well, it says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay? You have no life in yourself. Contrast that with what we had talked about before, uh, the fact that Jesus does. Remember some phrases? Go back. Look at John 5.26. John, in our, we're reviewing back in the book we've already been in. I want you to remember some things. Okay, John 5.26. It says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to what? Have life in himself. We talked about this. That he is the source of life. Look at, let's go back to the first chapter. Do you remember what we talked about? I mean, this is the thesis statement of what John is about to teach us in the whole chapter. Now he's walking us through it, but he made a statement at the beginning of what he was about to do. This is his thesis statement. And look what he says in 1-4. It says he's talking about the word, the logos. It says, in him was what? Was life. He is the source of all things. And the life was the light of men. He goes on in verse 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Hasn't this been what Jesus is saying all along? I am the living bread come down from heaven. I am the source of life. I have life in me. I am the life source. I have come. I have come so that you not have physical life, but have spiritual life, life eternal. He goes on to say in verses 16 of that same chapter, he says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. The grace and truth came from Jesus, came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Is he not saying all that Jesus is saying? He is saying that in the thesis statement of this book. Jesus is God. He has seen God face to face. He put on flesh so that God could be made known. So you could understand that he is the source of all life. And that by believing in him, you will be born again, as he told Nicodemus. Physical can only birth physical. And it dies. Spiritual can only birth spiritual. How does that happen? Well, you can't do it because you can't no more jump back in your mother's womb to be reborn physically. So you don't have any say-so on your physical birth. You have no say-so on your spiritual birth. It has to be given to you. How will it? Well, it's going to be given to you through a sacrifice and somebody's going to pay your debt. How do you receive it? You believe. You look upon, you look upon the son and you believe. It, we have heard this over and over and over. If anybody says to you they do not believe in the Trinity, that Jesus is God, they have not read the book of John. He claimed it. He claimed it over and over and over. So, eat my blood, eat my flesh, and drink my blood. This would have flipped them out. Okay? Because, for one thing, you don't ever eat the flesh with blood in it. Okay? This is a combination. Leviticus 17, 10 through 14. Go there. Leviticus 17, 10 through 14. There's a lot more out there on this, but we can only bring you so much. I'm just wetting your whistle. You just get to study it, okay? It says, if, if any one of the house of Israel or of the straight, no, that's not it. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who so, sojourn among them eat any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on an altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. 
you can go on. That's enough for, for my point with you today. But basically, they were taught that the life of the animal was in the blood. And it is that life of that perfect sacrifice that was given to cover or to atone for their sin. It was forbidden to consume blood. And so they would have been completely freaking out. They were not to ingest the life of another. But now Jesus was saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Right? Of course, he is not speaking literally about drinking the fluid in his veins or eating his flesh. Both were metaphors to accepting his sacrifice. He was referring to his ultimate sacrifice on the cross for sin. They knew this. Think about, that's also part of the Passover. Think about it, what they had to do. They roasted the lamb, right? And they consumed part of it, and they spread the blood on the doorpost so they could be freed from the bondage of sin. And after that, set up the institution of substitutionary atonement over and over. They would take the sacrifice, which, by the way, parts were given to the priest to eat, parts were given to the giver, and parts were roasted uh, before the Lord. And the blood was to make atonement for them. So what is he saying? He is saying that you have to, right, take me in as the sacrifice. I, I was thinking this, this section has the entire beauty of the Passover. It's the time of the Passover when they come to a desolate place. And then you have this large crowd in a desolate place. You have a great teacher, this miracle worker, and the miraculous food. Yet the Passover was truly about the lamb, the meat that was roasted and consumed, the blood over, over the doorpost, the same flesh and blood given over and over again for the atonement of sin. He wants them to know true life didn't come through manna in the wilderness. For goodness sake, they died. Okay, the true bread is him. How is it going to happen? Through his flesh. And in order to be saved, you literally consume his flesh and drink his blood. It is the atonement. It is his life that we take into our veins as a substitute. We, he who have, we have no righteousness. He had righteousness. We take his on. What do you think we do? I don't think this is a literal becoming the Lord's Supper literally becomes the body or the blood. Right? It is in remembrance. But what are we doing? We are saying it is he is the substitute for us. We are applying his blood to our life. In other words, we're ingesting his life as a substitute for ours. And when we do that, we literally become the children of God. And so he is saying, you have to take it in. You have to consume it. This life we ingest, this life we apply, this life running through our veins brings spiritual life. Through his death and our belief, we are born again. But the concept of a crucified Messiah was a major stumbling block for them. Do you understand that? He's talking about his death. He's talking about eating my flesh, drinking my blood, sacrificial language. I mean, they've already been told, listen, it's not about being Jew. It's about being born again. They have already watched Jesus abide with the broken, hang out with sinners, stop by with the Samaritan woman. They've seen him heal the sick and raise the dead. He's threatened their traditions and their authority. He claims that God is his father and that he is equal with God. He literally calls himself the son of man from Daniel chapter 7. The one that is going to be granted all dominion and glory and full judgment of the earth. He's claiming to be pre-existent and divine, that he has come down from God. And now he is saying it is all through eating his flesh and drinking his blood 
that the true bread of heaven, true life, begins in his flesh? This was definitely not what they considered the plan for the Messiah. I want you to understand how hard this would have been for them to understand. Look at John 12, 27 to 34. I want you to see how this teaching had to continue. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth. What does that mean to them? That means crucifixion, okay? When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They still don't get it. Okay, look at Luke 24. Luke 24. I'm going to read verse 21 and then 25 through 27. I'll start with 20 just so you kind of get a, a feel. Um, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had... <clears throat> oh, you need to know who this is. This, uh, these, the, Jesus has been raised and he is walking with the men on the road to Emmaus. Okay, so he's appearing before them and he's hearing the report from them of what happened, okay? So that sets it up for you. Okay, so they said, they're telling the story of how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and to crucify him. And listen to what they say. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They had hoped he was the one, but when he died, what? They didn't believe that. So they continued the story, and then listen to, so that's what they're talking about. Man, we hoped he was the one. But then look at verse 25. So he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things that concerned himself. What is he telling them? He's taking them back now and showing them all of the predictions and foreshadows and how it was all to work out, that it was always going to be a lamb led to the slaughter, that it was always going to be the story that the Messiah must come to die and be glorified. And so he walked, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Well, we will be one day. I'm going to sit down and listen to it all. 1 Corinthians 1.23, look at that. So Paul is talking about speaking to the different people groups. It says right before, it says, for the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. And then what does it say after that? A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So what was the biggest stumbling block for the Jewish people? That the Messiah would have to die. The cross, how is that? You could go on. Galatians 5.11 says, it, he calls it, we teach the offense of the cross. That the cross was offensive to them. And in Acts 17.3, look at that one. Paul and Silas are explaining, it says that from the scriptures, they were explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. Don't let this be a stumbling block. He must die. Okay, he must die. This is the plan. I am the bread of life. I am the source of it all. In me is life. I have been sent down from God with his seal. 
We are the same. I am pre-existent. I am equal with God. I have come. Lift up your eyes from the earthly desires and listen to what I am telling you. I could feed you all day long and you will die. I have come down from heaven to be the true food. You must eat of me. You must take me in, consuming, not put me on a shelf like intellectual ascent, but you must take me in, gather me, trust me, chew me up, digest me. It is my life that has been given for you. If you believe in me, you will live. And he is saying it over and over and over again. And we're going to find out that this is really hard for the crowd. In one minute, he had a crowd that would blow your ever-living mind. That's why he sent the disciples in a boat to the other side so they wouldn't get swept up in the winds of popularity because when the wind blows a different direction, what can happen? You're not so popular anymore. And so now they needed to know, they needed to have enough, they needed to see him walk on the water because this was gonna be a very hard thing for them to comprehend. So hard that the Messiah must come to die so hard that most would leave. And he says, oh, is this offensive to you? Would it matter if you saw me ascend to where I came from? You offended? And he begins to talk, and then Peter gives his amazing remark back, right? Peter, you want to leave? Well, where would I go? You have the words of life. And that is saving faith. When the hard sayings, when you don't get it, when you don't know why, when there are things you cannot understand, and you're like, oh, I don't know about that one. But yet you look, and you see all that you know of who he is. And you're like, mm, where would I go? In him is life. There is no other way than substitutionary atonement. We could not do it on our own. There is no life in us. He is the source of life. We must be born again. That is the beauty. And it's simple. <laughs> it's simple, but we must trust it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Complicated text, yet simple, really. Um, miraculous. You were the bread of life. We were dead. We were dead. And the love of God sent the bread of life down that we might have true life, eternal life. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, I pray that you would use us to draw many. He's saying, come to me, come to me, believe in me, know who I am. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, accept me into your life, apply me. I am the bread of life. And so God, I pray that we would realize that when we do that, you say that you abide with us and we abide with you. You say, I am the vine. You are the vine. I am the branches. I am the vine. You are the branches. Lord, you know I know the verse. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man abides in me, he will bear much fruit. May we bear much fruit. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at It's Mary Shannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.